Welcome. Thanks for joining us on Heritage Radio Network. I'm Katie Mosman-Wadler, Executive Director, and we are coming to you today from the dining room of Chez Panisse in Berkeley. And with us, we have Alice Waters, James Beard Award-winning chef, author, and activist, recognized widely as a pioneer of the good food movement. She's also known for her philanthropic work with the Chez Panisse Foundation and Edible Schoolyard. Welcome, Alice. Thank you. Thank you. Also joined by Chef Cal Peternell, Chez Panisse chef and IACP award-winning author, celebrated for his ability to make elegant recipes simple and accessible to home cooks, and uh, very well known for his work at Chez Panisse. Thank you, Cal. Thanks for coming out here. So we are here today, um, one, because tonight is the Good Food Awards ceremony, and Alice, you'll be presenting at the awards, and we are um, going to be live broadcasting that tonight at 6.30 Pacific time. Today is also Inauguration Day, and together with Winona LeDuc, um, Chez Panisse is putting together an initiative for uh, to stand with Standing Rock on Inauguration Day and featuring the Manuman wild rice that's a heritage grain. And so we're here to talk a little bit about the awards and about that initiative. Um, so, Alice, I'd like to start uh, just by asking you about what the role that the Good Food Awards plays in the food movement today. I think it plays a major uh, role right now because it is really bringing together the people who are making wonderful products and uh, supporting the people who are taking care of the land. They're doing both things. This is creating um, all kinds of products that, that uh, I mean, in every state of the United States, it's kind of awakening people. And I've always believed that the best way to get someone's attention is to give them something tasty to eat. It's like winning them over. It's not overthrowing. It's bringing them into the conversation. And, yeah, and it, I think it also um, that giving them something good to eat puts people at ease, and um, and but not in a sort of um, uh, you know lazy way, but in, at their ease where they can let their ideas kind of come out, and, and creativity tends to follow. Thank you. Yeah. How have the Good Food Awards changed since the original Slow Food Nation in 2008? Well, I love that it came out of Slow Food Nation in a way because Sarah Weiner was one of the, the real driving forces of that very big event in San Francisco. And we were all surprised at the power that we had when we decided to do something to collaborative and we we had architects involved and we had filmmakers and we had various artists and they all did a piece of that event and it it it, um, it became something greater than the sum of its parts and I think that that happened for two AIDS benefits that we had back in the early 90s. Uh, and uh, I think it could really happen again in a big way. We've just, <clears throat> we're just finding each other again. And it's, it's, it's very exciting to find so many young people so dedicated. It's really amazing. It was, you know, we started this... Um 
putting together this uh, inauguration day action by just writing to our friends in the local community and seeing what you know what are you doing are you interested in doing something and no one hesitated everyone right away was looking for something to do mm-hmm. uh, and you know we're busy and we it's hard for us to always come up with those ideas and put them together but I people had some ideas and mostly they said whatever we end up doing we're in and uh, we have quite a coalition of restaurants that's amazing can you tell us a little bit about this particular grain about the grain mm-hmm. um, yeah it's a you know it's wild harvested so it's uh, it's not a cultivated grain um, and mostly what I know about it is that it's really delicious uh, it has this kind of um, we've been trying to talk about what it tastes like it gives people a little reminds them of cocoa in a, in a way um, it smells a little bit like uh, like fresh hay or alfalfa when you're cooking it um, your first taste, you're kind of surprised because you're expecting rice that has sort of this neutral flavor, and this really has its own character. Uh, I have become, I think I might be addicted to it now. <laughs> it might be what I'm going to start eating for breakfast. Wow. And how does promoting this wild rice support the Native Americans at Standing Rock, and what's the significance of having it on the menu today on Inauguration Day? Well, the the woman who is uh, really the leader of this whole movement is Winona LaDuke, and she has been around for for quite a long time and um, an advocate, a very strong advocate for the Indian lands and the production of the food from those lands that's something that's nutritious, and so I just feel like we're all in the restaurant business and we can really get behind her and all of the people who are working with her by buying this rice. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it, we love it and she's happy to sell it to us. And I, you know, I would also add that, I, I, that um, we, we chose this rice and Winona's um, organization Honor the Earth because of their um, support for the peaceful protesters at Standing Rock and we felt like that was a good cause at this moment because it's a it's a story of hope and success that where where people came together around a cause and they succeeded and that's that's what we intend to do wonderful can you tell us about today's dish on the lunch menu no, I don't know what's on the lunch menu. Do well, I can tell you that uh, what they did was mixed the wild rice with um, a whole wheat, a uh, whole grain of rice, uh, a brown rice that's grown up here in the Sacramento Delta, mm-hmm. and and the combination of the two made something really special, both in terms of color on the plate. But I, I just tasted it um, uh, and uh, loved it. And a different presentation will be done tonight in the cafe. And I think you're doing it downstairs. Yeah. We're, we're serving it um, in the restaurant tonight. With um, We're also going to um, mix it with uh, some of the brown rice mm-hmm. uh, that we all have loved for years. It's really wonderful stuff. And But we're serving it with... Um, our um, meat course tonight, which is, <clears throat> excuse me, grilled uh, squab. So I sort of like the idea of 
grilled little birds with wild grains seems like a nice <laughs> connection. And I think also that the 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 juices from like the sort of meaty um, juices from that squab when they mix with the rice on the plate is really going to be something great. Wow, my mouth is watering. Mm -hmm. That sounds incredible. Come back. (laughs) I hope too. Um, How, so today is kind of a heavy day with the inauguration, and I have a big question for you with that, which is how do you both plan to keep fighting for a better food system under the new administration? Well, I have um, my own plan. (laughs) I guess I really believe, and I've always been part of the counterculture movement, and I've never really been behind uh, the the actions uh, of the, our government for a very long time since the, the Vietnam War and before. And so um, I think there are ways to, as they say, think globally and act locally. In Berkeley, and we are we're we're going to write a white paper about the edible schoolyard project and how we wanted to feed every kid in school for free, and we were going to give it to Hillary's transition team, and now we're going to present it uh, to the powers that be in the state of California, but education is. For me, the bottom line, it's what we all need. We all need to have civics folded in to our edible education. And I think it folds in so beautifully when everyone comes around the table and has a school lunch together and that we really make school lunch part of academia so that it's not in that uh, fast food cafeteria space that is part of uh, an education that every child in this country deserves. We have been and will continue to be behind you 100%. Thank you for your work. Um, what, what I'm thinking about um, is joining Al- with Alice's um, efforts, but also that, you know, just this... Um, this inauguration day uh, action that we're doing in the restaurants has really, I think, opened a lot of our eyes to how eager we are to work together as a as a community of restaurateurs. And, you know, there's a lot of us who grow the food, harvest the food, sell the food, cook the food. Um, we're a powerful force, and I think we're feeling that power. And acting locally, we're, we're um, continuing with fundraisers for, and they're all happening, they're just popping up one after another right now for Planned Parenthood, for um, legal support for uh, immigrants, uh, and also just we're gathering groups of um, cooks here and going to local shelters and, and cooking for hungry people, um, because, you know, I think the larger gestures are important and the, and the more local ones are just as important. What advice do you have for chefs, perhaps in other cities outside of Berkeley, about getting organized and coming together for these kind of projects? I mean, I think it works best if it comes from within, if it truly is gas, grassroots. Um, but I think that we can, you know, um, lend support and advice on how to make that happen. And um, I do, I do think, you know, chef, chefs and restaurateurs tend to be pretty, like, flat out busy all the time, uh, and so they would welcome, uh, you know 
a little nudge from from outside. I just um, think of the success of a project we've been doing since uh, Obama's inauguration every year in Washington, D.C., and we support two organizations, Cent- um, uh, Martha's Table and D.C. Central Kitchen. And at the beginning, uh, we decided to do it in this uh, a kind of, um, uh, what would I... Uh, 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 unorthodox way, not have a big event and invite all the cooks to cook, but a uh, we decided to do dinners in people's houses all around Washington, and then a chef could come to the house, and instead of having to cook for a lot of people, he could cook for 20 people or 30 people, and we could raise uh, money and consciousness in a way, more easily. And it wouldn't be such a big effort to come to cook, and it wouldn't be a big effort to throw an event. It would just be about matching people up. And at first we had 12, and now we have 37 houses this year. Wow. And we raise over $3 million a year for those organizations. So I'm, I'm very excited uh, uh, to go back to Washington this year, particularly when, when we need to um, really gather mm-hmm. and, and, and feel the force of, of, of the movement. But it, in doing those dinners, it brought the whole city together, all of the chefs together, all of the people working um, you know, in the food business, farmers, because we always buy all our food from the farmer's market and the people local to, to Washington. So it's, I, I just think that's a great idea, and we have to share those ideas with other people. That's a great segue into my next question, which is what is giving you hope right now in the food movement? Well, every, every time I see my daughter, she gives me hope because she is involved. She's really, she, uh, I mean, she knows that this is her future. And uh, all the young people who work at the restaurant give me great hope because they they know what's happening even the 6th, 7th and 8th graders at the Edible Schoolyard Project I mean they know what's going on and they could happily talk about sustainable agriculture and why cooking is important and how much they like to sit around the table I mean we have such a serious problem when nobody eats together and apparently 85% of the kids in this country don't have one meal with their family. Right. So the schools need to, to be that place where they can feel really loved and nourished. Thank you. What's giving you hope, Cal? <laughs> I think Alice covered everything, but, uh, you know... Uh, I, like her, I, I feel hope with uh, when I see my children and when I interact with young people. You know, I go to the edible schoolyard classroom and um, and work with the kids there, and they have this great Iron Chef competition where they form teams and get a mystery basket, and they have to come up with a menu, and they're so into it. They're Like, without even a hesitation, they dive right in. And the first time I went, I mean, I'm over the surprise now, but the first time I went, I... I was surprised that they were so eager to eat 
dark green kale and roasted squash and, um, you know, the sort of things that kids are like, it's too green, it's too mushy. When they get their hands on it and when they, they've seen it grown there in the garden and they are invited to be engaged with it, um, they don't hesitate. I just have to say one thing about the Iron Chefs, that yes, they're judged on presentation and taste, but they're judged on how well they work as a group. They're judged on how well that they clean up after they're finished. <laughs> they're, they're judged really in a, in a way that if they lose, they're just questioning each other about how they could have done it better. I mean, it's the kind of conversation we might have in the kitchen of Chez Panisse. But to wow. hear them saying, oh, we probably should have roasted those peppers because maybe more flavor could have come out. And I'm, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm just, uh, it's not, it's not, it doesn't feel competitive and, and sort of, uh, you know, strutting that they, around that they won. Mm-hmm. It's just like, a learning process, mm-hmm. and uh, there, it's it's remarkable. Wow. Well, we'll just end with two quick fire questions. Um, one is, uh, what category are you most excited about tonight at the Good Food Awards? What category am I most excited about? <laughs> well, goodness, um, I am always excited about the stories people tell about each category. I'm, I learned so much uh, from it, and I, I'm not sure... I mean, I remember them talking about the production uh, uh, of coffee for the person who went... And he had gone down to Central America, and he was... The way that he talked about the farming that was going on, I, I, it, it was amazing. I cannot say which one I'm looking for. <laughs> That's well, very diplomatic. I'm not going to be there. But because um, I'll be here cooking squab with wild rice. Um, but uh, were I to be there, um, and I have been a judge for them in years past, um, I do like to drink beer. And um, there's a lot of great beers uh, happening in the, in the U.S. right now, which, which is exciting to me as a beer drinker, but also as a model for, um, you know, small local businesses that, that can really succeed uh, and be really individual um, there at least around here, and I know in new york too they're they 're all over the place mm-hmm. and growing so that that 's you know I think even Carlo Petrini pointed to that as as a model for a great local economy yeah. Cheers to that yeah right uh, last but most definitely not least, this is a section that we like to call big ups, which is where we want to give you the opportunity to recognize somebody or an organization that is doing great work in the food space. There are many. There are many. But I am very interested in reading Civil Eats, uh, uh, all of their uh, journalism really gets to me, and I feel like uh, they're telling the truth and have a wide range of people um, giving their opinions. Uh, And I guess I would give it to uh, a category of people who have and continue to inspire me in the kitchen and in the larger food world, and that's 
women, starting with Elizabeth David and um, going on to Julia and Paul Wolfert and Alice and, um, <laughs> you know, too many to name, but, mm-hmm. I, but I get a lot, and my mom. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much, Alice and Cal of Chez Panisse, for having us here today. You've been listening to Heritage Radio Network. Please join us tonight for the Good Food Awards live broadcast, and we look forward to speaking with you again soon. Cheers.